Over a hill and under a misty mountain, deep within the unceded Musqueam territory of Vancouver, British Columbia, I'm Doug Vandelay with another episode of Comedy Zeitgeist. You can follow the show on Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist and pester me at Doug Vandelay. Hello to everybody listening on CITR 101.9 here for the first 30 minutes of the show. The Mario and Luigi of comedy and improv, I'm here with Manny Vu and Malcolm McLeod. <laughs> How's it going, fellas? I'm good, how are you? Well, thanks. You're the Luigi, but you're just, you're not thinner. No. <laughs> you're just taller. Yeah. I've been a can of worms here. Yeah. But I am definitely the more... The villainous one. Villainous one, yeah, yeah. So is yeah. it more of a, like, a Wario and Waluigi type situation? Maybe. <laughs> I'm more of a Waluigi. Yeah, then you're more Waluigi. I'm not... Yeah. I'm too tall to be Wario. <laughs> I'll, I'll take Luigi. I always like yeah, Luigi. It's a Luigi and Wario situation. Yeah. Do, do you have I an older acting. sibling? I ha- No, I'm the oldest, actually. Right, because I, I usually find Luigi is the uh, mainstay of the second child. Yeah. I think yeah. when if it's like me and my brother, I feel like then I'm Mario and then he's Luigi. But yeah. Is it just the two of you? I also have a half-sister. So. And it's then, more of a peach or toad. Yeah, pre- yeah, yeah, peach. I'm the youngest of six. Oh my god, what do you get left with there? Like Diddy Kong? Yeah. You're like Toad. Is that one of those like weird Bowser spin-offs like like Lenny? No, it was a it was a bad guy. I think it was in the Yoshi era because Is Birdo the ghost? It's the girl that shoots eggs. Oh right, that oh. yeah. How is Yoshi not a girl? He lays eggs. I don't know, that's a whole can of worms too, but That is also true. Yeah, I always yeah, I always kind of assume uh, if anyone's going to be a gender, it's going to be Yoshi. Yeah, right. And Toad. And Toad. <laughs> Whatever a Toad is. I always assume Toad was a man. Like it was, yeah. Is he is he wearing a hat or is he a mushroom? Ooh. I've seen these like memes, and it's disturbing to see him without the mushroom cap on. See, I picture you. Like a hat. See, I picture you as a Toad. Rude. <laughs> you know what I because you're wearing a hat right now. <laughs> So you guys are the hosts of Blood Feud Comedy. Tell us a bit about the format of the show. First, like it's the first kind of like half of the show is a stand-up show with four stand-ups. Uh, it's open with Malcolm and I doing a lot of like banter and bits and just like messing with the crowd a bit. Mm-hmm. And we don't really mess with the crowd. I don't even know why I say it. we ask them like two questions and then we stop talking to them yeah. and then go back to us. We so, we sometimes like talk to the crowd depending on the mood of the show. I feel like there's some shows where you're like, oh yeah, the crowd wants to like. Mm-hmm. Engage and other shows are like the crowd's like here just to watch. And then we well, they had that one show where that guy engaged too much and uh, yeah. just like shut up the whole show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, were we were we still picking him up? <laughs> yeah. Right. Sick. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder. Okay, okay. Classic so, nightmare situation. Yeah. Was this guy like a, a heckler? I, he was just, he wasn't like, he was just chatty and would respond to anything mm. we would say. And you're just like, stop talking now. <laughs> it's not, you don't, we don't need your response to just our sentences to each other. Yeah, I think it's like he almost wanted to be like the third host. Yeah, he wanted to be part of the show. You don't yeah. get a lot of negative hecklers in the city. What, I, do you, what do you think is more damaging, someone like that or a, a heckler? I do guess I do improv, so I feel like you don't even we don't, have we don't really get hecklers. I mean, uh, but oh yeah, I would assume a negative heckler would be. But a negative heckler, you can get kicked out, hmm. which is sweet. Someone who's just like, I'm trying to help. You're like, I don't right. want to kick you out. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but the show it's the first half is yeah a kind of a traditional stand up show, and then the second half it's a long form 
improv show loosely inspired by the stand up. So I, I joined the improvisers and there's usually uh, six of us all together. And yeah, then we do like a very loose tap sweeps cut to uh, kind of inspired by the stand up. It's a weird, fun mix of shows. It's, it was basically a ploy to get all of my like comedy friends together. Because I'm a stand-up, and I hang out with a lot of improvisers. So it was basically like, hey, let's all just like come do this show. You get to see some stand-up. Stand-ups get to see some improv, and you kind of like get to know each other a little more. Yeah, it's sort of a marriage of the two worlds, because I feel like stand-up and improv, at least in, I guess in all cities, are very separate. Well, this is the name of the show is Blood View, just because yeah. there's that rivalry between the two. Yeah. And it's all just a ploy to trick people to coming to the show. I was actually, uh, I had Randy Newmeyer in few weeks ago who hosts mm-hmm. the list mm-hmm. and i was talking to her afterwards about how i was thinking of either taking a stand-up class or an improv class and she said if you want to have fun and make friends and have a good time and be happy do improv correct 100%. <laughs> yeah i think that's that's right <laughs> and that's speaking as she is a stand-up so yeah and stand-up <laughs> classes aren't too necessary like i took a stand-up class but that's because i wasn't gonna take the stage unless i did yeah, or sort of, sort of, just like a, a kick in the ass kind of thing. Can I swear? Did, yeah, yeah, of course. Go, go, go. Did you already have material, or did no? You... The class was just like write some every week. You'd be like write some jokes. We'll do them in class, mm-hmm. and at the end of like a month and a bit, we had a full show. Did they tell you how to write jokes? Kind of. To be like, this is basic joke structure, right? And you kind of like went with it, but then now I don't even know if I followed like those rules. I probably do. I just. I'm trying to be like a badass rebel. I'm like, I'm not doing anything by the rules, but I'm probably just like doing standard stuff. So how long have you both been pursuing comedy into various forms? Uh, for me, I think it's, yeah, it's been around uh, five and a half years. Five, yeah, when I, since I like first took my first like improv class and then um, kind of from there, I, I was sort of hooked on it and I've just been doing it ever since. Was your first year very consistent? What do you mean? Like, were you doing shows, like, monthly or, like, weekly kind of situation your first year? Um, I would say maybe, uh, it was, I guess the first six months was, like, every other month. Like, I, I remember signing up for a class at Instant Theater, and what it was was at the end of it, you got to do a show, and that was happened to be my first show. Um, and I wanted it because I was, like, I'd done high, improv in high school, but I mm-hmm. didn't really think, oh, there's anything more to it than just high school drama. And then from there, yeah, you take the did the first show that day i was so terrified the whole way like the moment i woke up to like when the show was over it was like oh my god i'm doing this uh but then it was kind of so gratifying that i ended up signing up for instant theaters conservatory program which i don't know if it exists anymore and then kind of from there i started making connections and friends and getting onto different people's shows so it was a bit of a slow climb so you know i was slower at the start but now i'm doing a couple of shows a week What's the what was the conservatory program? Okay, uh, instant. Uh, at least they used to have a conservatory program run by Alistair Cook, in which uh, you would sign up, you do three months with a specific group, and like every month you would do a show, uh, and so you'd just be working on different stuff. So like based on your skill level, he'd put you in with like it's like a very beginner yeah it was level a ve- kind of thing yeah it was a way to like start getting show experience and start like meeting people. Um, because the other places at the time weren't really off, like Blind Tiger Comedy, which I ended up, uh, I'm still involved with, uh, they didn't exist at that point. And then Vancouver Theater Sports League was undergoing a uh, transformation of their education. 
program. So I guess, uh, yeah, the in conservatory was just a way of getting shows and yeah, meeting people because it would, uh, you, you just, yeah, every couple of weeks you would do a show. Because and... it's hard just to do improv. There's no place that you can just like, like tonight I could be like, I want to do stand-up tonight and I can go do that, basically. Whereas improv, that's not an option for the most part. Well, there was also when I was starting out uh, this place called Rowan's Roof, and it was basically an open mic for improv. Rowan's Roof doesn't exist anymore, uh, but it would be like every Monday you would go sign up and you would just sort of, it would, I guess now what we call like an improv jam, which is mm-hmm. sort of the equivalent to an open mic. And you would just like go there. And I would also meet people there who would then invite me when it came to their shows to mm-hmm. like actually do shows. And yeah, you sort of, I guess it's, it's a shame that Rowan's Roof doesn't exist anymore because it was like where I met. But it's great because first that people. person who ran it was a problem. Yeah, it it kind of <laughs> shut down because the yeah the the showrunner of that show had some. Uh, He's problematic. Had a very yeah some a <laughs> problematic himself. history. For, no, not Rowan, the guy who ran, ran the show. No, uh, yeah. There's <laughs> very very rare is the owner of a venue, the guy who runs the comedy. Yeah. The only place that I know that exists is Kino. Uh, with Steve Allen? With Steve Allen. And Steve Allen ran a comedy show there for years. And then the owner of the keynote was like, I'm going to sell this place. And Steve's like, I'm, I'll buy it. And he bought it. And now he just like keeps running that show. It's the longest running show in Vancouver. Cool. Every Tuesday. Yeah. I recently went back to where Rowan's is. And it's now a Japanese restaurant with no stage or anything. <laughs> so they've definitely, that yeah, restaurant has just moved on. Where is it? It was on uh, in Kits, is just off Fourth and uh, Vine, like right across the street from uh, the Safeway. Okay, I'm not too familiar. It's my eleventh month here, but I spent <laughs> yeah. too much time in a Kitsilano area. Kitsilano. Yeah, I went to Dark Table. You've been there? No, no, but I've heard of it. Have you heard of it? I know of it. Yeah, it's pretty weird. The food was good, but I thought it was something different the whole time. Like the like you're like, is this chicken well, or fish? Well, I, yeah, I, I got know. the surprise meal. Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah, you is, would have to. I would have to do that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm getting. Who cares? I was pretty, pretty uh, scared of it, but it ended up being uh, like a veal something, mm-hmm. mm. which I never would have ordered normally. But and that's why I couldn't pick it because like I don't have it ever. Did you use a fork and knife, or did you use your hands? Oh, I used a fork and knife. Yeah, it must change like the how you eat the food because like, I feel like so much of food is seeing it. And then if like you're eliminating eating. that sense, then other senses are supposed to be heightened. Like Even me eating with you guys in public and me eating alone at home is very different. Yeah. The main thing that was weird for me was not knowing how much was left oh. at yeah. any point. It felt like I had a full plate right up until I had nothing. That's what you get for using fork and knife. Hands. Yeah. You know how much you have. Yeah, you can, you can feel it. <laughs> I did definitely touch everything. Yeah. Like very gingerly. But I have no idea how big the place was. Or anything. There was this really obnoxious group uh, sitting near us that clearly didn't understand the format at all, and they, and they were just saying things like, "Oh, it's so dark in here," and stuff. And when the guy came around, they asked up, "What did they ask the the waiter?" If he could see. And the the whole <laughs> the whole point of the restaurant is that all the waiters are blind, oh, so yeah, they're used yeah. to moving around in the dark. Yeah. And they, and he's just like, "Oh no, I, I'm blind." <laughs> Which was awkward for them. <laughs> it's like, no, you're, this is whole thing is so you can experience what we experience every day at all for yeah. our lives. Did you done. use when you were drinking your drink? Did you use a straw or did you have to I like did, guess? Yeah. I didn't even pick up my drink. I was too scared. I just oh, yeah. left it and sort of <laughs> leant over. Yeah. 
It was really good. It was this kind of experimental mojito, but it was too long ago to remember. Did they uh, give you a bib? I feel like they should they give, have they to should give, give you bibs. Bib. No, they didn't. Because like, uh, it's fine. But during, I lent, but I like lent over like a horse into a feed <laughs> yeah. bag the whole time. I wonder if Dark Table is going to be really affected by like the straw ban that's uh, in Vancouver. Where that straw ban is going to affect a lot of things. It's the slurpy business. Uh, I don't know how that's going to. Do you function. think they'll bring in straw replacements with like maybe the well maybe who knows maybe they've had like actual like reusable straws the whole time at Dark Table but you just don't know because you can't see it. Yeah, because I've seen places that use like pasta straws. Yeah, I, I was in a place in San Francisco earlier this year and they had paper straws, mm. which That's, was good for it, about five yeah, minutes. Yeah, exactly. The paper yeah. straws, I see a disaster eventually. Yeah, um, and then I ended up using three of them in one drink, so I don't know what the trade-off is. It forces you to drink fast, so the business gets more booze sold. They went out in the end. It's all a scam. This is all a conspiracy. This is what I'm putting out in the world, conspiracy theory. The straw ban is for restaurants to make more money off of booze sales. <laughs> I think it can maybe be a, a upcoming episode of <laughs> Talia Murdoch's economics podcast here on here on the network. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long have you been pursuing comedy, Maddie? I am coming up on four years in a couple months. I asked Malcolm about the his first year thing because my first year was like one show every couple months, mm-hmm. so I only did like six shows in my first year of comedy, and then yeah. now it's just like. At least once a week, sometimes, couple like every day. Sometimes, who knows? So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a like uh, with comedy. It's yeah. So stand-up's easier to do a lot of. Yeah, it's yeah. So you can even do more like multiple shows in a night. Like I think doing multiple shows a, in a night at improv. It's either you're at a certain venue where you're doing like the the early show and the late show, mm-hmm. or that's it, most likely not happening that you're going to do more than one show a night but you guys have a lot of rehearsals too which is like extra training and that's basically what extra yeah. sets that i'm doing is just extra training for like a more prestigious show or whatever do you, do you find you practice alone at all with with stand-up i don't uh i know i should because people say i should a lot and it just feels too awkward even by myself so, I mean, you, know, I, you couldn't read the energy off anyone doing that. Like, it must be hard to get pacing right doing it alone. Yeah, and I kind of, like, I don't know. I try to have this vibe of, like, where it seems like I'm really in the moment. Well, which I, like, I hope mm-hmm. I am, too. But I think when it's too dialed in and, like, too on the nose timing-wise, it takes out some of the fun. Because I had a show at the Sunday service the first time I did it. And I was practicing so much and just like had it just like to a T joke. This is how long the laugh will probably be. Next joke, next setup, blah, blah, blah. And I don't even remember being on stage because it was just like so dialed in. I was so nervous anyways, mm-hmm. which is kind of why I did it. And then. Do you, do you think that maybe worked into the nervousness, like amping yourself up so much by rehearsing it? Oh, yeah, probably because I did it again a couple of weeks ago didn't do any like warm-up sets beforehand per se and just like had the most fun cool i've I've noticed as well like some of the least effective improv is when you can tell someone has like a scene in the bank mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they just throw in yeah yeah like even like when i've played with people who do that where they have like a preloaded character or yeah they have this a premise already uh yeah it's kind of you lose you, you lose the specialness of improv, and the audience sees it, and the imp- yeah, yeah, and the audience sees it. Like you know, I when I've worked with players where they'll kind of explain to you who you are, where you are, what we're doing, why it's important, 
that's not improv then that's you know uh ham you know ham-fisted sketch premise it's like you might as well just write it as a sketch then you know do what we're doing now because what i love about improv is yeah it's that connection it's you know building something together you know one step at a time yeah and i think the best improv scenes are the ones where you kind of go in with almost nothing where it's like maybe you have a loose idea of like the first line or maybe just an emotion and Mm -hmm. then you go from there and yeah, you just kind of make eye contact and lock in, and then all of a sudden, everyone who's playing on that set kind of knows, oh, this is what it is, and then can just feed that. Like, those moments are special, and you see that. When you see that, that's where, like, for me, this that's the highlight of improv. It's kind of the hot reason you're doing improv and the higher chasing. Because you're creating magic. Yeah. Improv is basically magic, and it it's is. crazy, and I love watching it when it's good. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's much easier to break down something like stand-up into a science than, than improv, really. Like yeah. Because there's, like, a structure and, like, this is how long your setup is. And your setup yeah. is can't be longer than your punchline or else mm-hmm. the the dynamic of it is weird. Or, like, there's certain, like, one-liners work a certain way. Stories work a certain way. So. Is there a meta in improv? I think so. I think sometimes... Like uh, when it gets meta, it's more that the players are trying to make each other laugh, so you end up getting well, these. Like, Sunday inside... service is very meta. Like, yeah, Ryan Beal very much will call out a scene during a scene, that kind of situation. Like a like a sort of ongoing joke. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, but I think even the meta jokes are built in the show. So like when the show is happening, that's when you're maybe sometimes there is an inside joke being built. If it's like, oh, here's the same character coming into every scene or, oh, looks like this person's doing this thing mm-hmm. today. Because, yeah, some shows, you know, you're just going to happen just to do the same thing that you've done earlier in the show. And, and sometimes yeah. you can feel the mood of the performer. Yeah, I think it's like even like the... Like your last show, Raquel did a lot of weird stuff. I was like, geez, it seems in a weird place. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that is true. <laughs> so, was this the blood feud? Uh, no, was that your house team show? Or no, uh, there was a Blind Tiger house team fondue show that happened on Friday, and yeah, there's you know, uh, there was a you know the the energy was weird in the room in general. Yeah, it was a weird energy, but you know, and then that's a weird energy in the room can cause a weird show. So always good weird. It's. I think so. I think you can. I think improv can fix it or like feed into it. Where stand up, you just like fight it, and you're like, "This feels awful, and I hate it, and I don't want to be here anymore." Yeah, I think improv. Yeah, you can you can morph the show based on what's going on in the room. Where yeah, I think stand up, it's harder. Like if they're like if they're not into my material, it's like this is all I have. So now I'm a hooped. Yeah, because like for me, some of my favorite stand up is when it almost appears that the stand up is making it up as they go along that it's just this happened mm-hmm. to be like oh the room's all on board but. and sometimes when you are making up as you go the crowd responds crazy and you try again with what you just said and you're like oh they didn't like it now they yeah. only liked it that one time where i actually was making it up yeah the crowd work element to it not in crowd work, just like riffing on it a joke I've, I've noticed you well from the stand-up that i've uh, listened to in my research that you do tend to do a lot uh, a lot of crowd work Almost like you check in after your jokes as well, which is, I do. Which is I kind of I really a... try to connect with the audience a lot. I really like look at people and like try to like make a connection, like with eye contact at least. I don't really chat with them too much. I like ask, there is one like specific question that I do ask usually when I do this one joke, but not sometimes I can't. Or like I'll ask like a general question that I don't really want 
one person to answer it. I just like ask it and I know no one's going to answer it because it's a weird question. And I like, mm-hmm. go back to my jokes. Actually, uh, Malcolm, I think you're probably one of the uh, hardest guests I've had to research so far. Oh. He's got nothing on him. <laughs> I think there's also a lot of other Malcolm McClouds, like like red herrings. Yeah, okay. there's like I think there's like a New Zealand uh, psychic who might be share the same name as me. That's the mistaken. one your mom wished she had. She yeah, my mom uh, owns a uh, a tarot card a store. tarot card store in Tawasin. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool though. Yeah, you ever talk to Kalamara about that? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, no. she does tarot read- readings. I I yeah. heard about that, but I've never like really got into it. But my mom's more of like. Uh, um, a broker for psychics, if that's be, where. So she doesn't do any readings herself, but like she owns a store where you can buy the books and the this cards. This is a made up character. This is 100% this, this real. This is a real, this is this is real, real person <laughs> who, psychic who gave birth to this. <laughs> um, yeah, so she runs it in uh, Tawas. It's called The Reading Room. I think she'd appreciate that I'm plugging, plugging it right the now. Reading uh, the Reading Room in, in Tawasin. In, yeah, in Tawasin. Tawasin. Yeah, it's Tawasin. <laughs> I know it's it. It's there's even, a T in there, and there's an S in there, and there's, there's a couple a, more S's. Well, some people either people pronounce it with the T silent or the S silent. What if you do both, like like a Russian saw? Oh yeah, yeah, maybe that could work. I think it's weird. Like for me, I always grew up calling it Tawasin, but then you would like turn on the news, and certain newscasters would say Tawasin, and then other people would say Tawasin, and. I was never sure what was the correct pronunciation. I just sort of went with the flow. Right. But she, yeah, she runs this store. Yeah, where you can you, know, you can buy your stones, and so all the psychics in the town all now do their readings through all the psychics in Sawasan. In Sawasan, how many are there? Uh, I think there's like eight or nine. How big is that place? Eight or nine, I feel like uh, they do classes as well. Kind of a cabal. Yeah, I think some of them come from out of town. Uh, no special Just guest. to go special to the guest psychic. Yeah, special guests. Like my mom, when she was developing it, I actually helped her with her uh, uh, business plan. And you know, they she want, they're working on community events and really sort of tapping into the spiritual market. That uh, Tawas is also a very uh, religious town. It's got a, a lot of churches, uh, like Catholic and Protestant. Uh, so it's catering to a whole you know different market in that in the town, but. It's funny, I went on a date with a girl recently, and yeah, she brought up, she's like, oh, the reading room, great reputation. I had no idea. <laughs> so, yeah. Was she a psychic? Uh, she was a tarot card reader. How's that going? It was a one date. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what else, what else did you, could you find out about me? I'm curious. You own did a you house in Vancouver? It's that's yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, I find um, I find that amazing. It's yeah, so, that's even rarer than like a tarot broker, right? Yeah, no, I own a condo. Yeah, the story is that um, my dad passed away a few years ago, and so I used some of the inheritance money that I got from that uh, to buy a condo, uh, just because it was a good investment. Because hmm. it was like if I was, I did the math, and if you know I could just keep renting, or if I bought it, you know I would make money off of it, and you know all the fees in terms of like strata fees and taxes and all the rest you know i would basically just be going into rent anyways so now i'm just kind of paying my paying it back for myself so nice adult move yeah from a giant child (laughs) (laughs) 
I get it. Are you living the dream? Yeah, I guess in some ways. I mean, it's stressful because like I got to pay property tax and like in a couple of weeks. And are you it, protesting with those other jackasses that own homes? No, <laughs> not that kind of guy. I think those. That's also like oh, West Van like, people. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's all the people who basically live in uh, the British property. Have you seen those signs? The, they had like a graphic designer <laughs> and printed them. They're not like card, like oh yeah, no dollar store card, but they were like they're nice fancy signs. signs, real bougie signs. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't believe those people ever. Uh, another thing I uncovered: you performed with Ryan Styles. I did, yeah, uh, once. Um, yeah, we I did a Blind Tiger uh, house team. Uh, we went down to Bellingham, and he owns and operates the theater in Bellingham called uh, the Upfront Theater. And so we went down, kind of just expecting to just do a couple of guest shows, play with their main stage players, not really thinking that Ryan Styles would be there. Yeah. And then uh, they didn't tell us, like Upfront didn't tell us, and then we, they showed up. And they're like, "Oh, the big man's here tonight. He's gonna play with you guys." And we're like, "Who's the big man?" <laughs> and then like, "I'm the big man." Because <laughs> I'm the big man. <laughs> And they're like, no, 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 uh, Ryan's here tonight. Uh, he's going to go jump in with you guys if that's okay. And I think, of course, the group's like, uh, Who's yeah. saying no to that? Yeah, no one's <laughs> saying no. We're like, oh, absolutely. It's like about this. as improv royalty as you can get. Yeah. No, so I've been lucky. I've gotten to, I got to perform with Ryan. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I finally got to meet uh, Colin Mockery because he was at Vancouver Theater Sports, yeah. which I also do work with. And uh, yeah, they he was their special guest, so... Uh, I didn't get to perform with Colin yet, but... Colin's agent said no to him coming on this podcast. <laughs> I've only ever been told no by agents. Yeah. And then either ignored or confirmed by actual performers. I That's why you have an agent, right? Yeah, I feel like yeah, yeah, yeah it's a barrier to entry. But you have an agent, right? I also have an agent. <laughs> I just uh, went straight on your Facebook. But so. she... Uh, yeah. But I think she, right now she's like, one, right? uh, just say do, yes to everything. <laughs> well, you're on bus ads now. Yeah, that's true. Have you seen those? Did no. Any bus ads? Oh, and I go on the bus a lot as well. Or it's yeah. on. I guess I've only seen it on the SkyTrain. They're yeah. They're starting to show up in the buses, but and they're on the yeah. All this a lot of the SkyTrain and Candleline stops. So yeah, I'm also. You can check it out at uh, at Blood Food Comedy yeah. on Instagram. I posted a photo of it. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, no, I yeah. Uh, I talked about it at one of the shows, but yeah, I got hired to. <laughs> model for uh the playland ad campaign that's running this summer so i'm there i play an employee scrubbing up uh emoji vomit on the roller coaster <laughs> so that was sort of a fellow, was fellow kids kind of meme yeah no it's exactly that yeah. well they're like oh you look 17 on camera so we're gonna have you play the employee so and also you're like you're standing on the roller coaster and it doesn't like make you look like it doesn't look like a giant roller coaster with you. Yeah. It just looks like a well. I mean, they it's proportionate. Uh, or you actually in a roller coaster for the show? He's standing. I'm over. standing on the roller coaster. Um, I don't know if you can pull it up, but yeah. So I'm standing on the roller coaster. Uh, yeah, with a mop. But I think because the roller coaster, like when you stand in it, it's so deep that like it was already like if I think if they used the photo where I was standing in it, like it would be like cut off my waist. That they one of the reasons they hired me was because of my height, so that I didn't look. So like yeah. small compared to the roller coaster because it'll make the roller coaster look scary. We'll, we'll put uh, this picture on our website if you guys don't mind as well. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. do it. Just link I to love it. it. <laughs> but yeah, you can see. Yeah, now this is an audio podcast, and I'm about to describe a photo. Overall, but you all, but you also like got to like stand under the roller coaster, like while it's not working. Yeah, like, did they let off. you ride it alone? 
Uh, no, but uh, because the roller coaster wasn't operational, and they had a bunch of maintenance people there watching just to make make sure nothing happened. But uh, I got to like walk underneath the roller coaster, like where all the tracks were, just to kind of look up, which was really cool. I did, it was something like on a bucket list that I didn't realize would be on my bucket list, which is to stand under a roller coaster. Yeah, and like like under the mechanism, like they, yeah, you know. well under the tracks. Which they're not that far. Like a lot of the, that track of the corks. That's the corkscrew roller coaster. Uh, not that far off the ground, really. <laughs> like I had to duck under a couple of the tracks to just like look, and I took some photos of and stuff. But it's yeah, it was crazy because Playland that day was also shut down, so it was completely empty. Is that usually open all year? Uh, no, I think it closes. Uh, it opens in May, and then it closes. I think in September, and then they reopen it for Fright Nights from like... And Spring Break. And Spring Break. But yeah. I think between like November and February, it's it's mostly closed. Because of the rain, I just don't think a lot of So is it coming. just kind of like a permanent fair? I've never been there. Yeah. yeah. It's right. like you're just an amusement park that's always there. Cool. Yeah. It's worth checking out. It's like a... It's, it's Yeah, it's nice. Because yeah, I didn't know where to go in BC to like ride roller coasters. That's it. Playland. Are they good? It. And then tell them Malcolm sent you. <laughs> yeah, tell them that. Actually, in the poster, I'm wearing a name tag that says Matthew. So, oh, fun. Which is, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's me. That's my real name. That's your real name. That's my office name. Um, but we're not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought I was thinking about that recently. I was like, oh, yeah, I am wearing your name as my name tag. And How come this never has been brought up until just now? <laughs> Um, so, so you're the uh, second guest we've had on here who's had a real life experience with Danny Trejo. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is also great investigation. This course. is great. I didn't know you. <laughs> this is the second person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess my uh, my dad at one point, my dad and my uncle worked on uh, this movie called Reindeer Games. Which I is, know that that no, one. Yeah, it's Cusack, this. right? Yeah. No, no, it's no, actually Zach. It's, it's Ben Affleck, Charlie. Oh, I think you're thinking of Con Air. I'm sure I've seen Randy Gay. Uh, Reindeer, Reindeer Deer Games is in that like late 90s, early 2000s range of these ridiculous crime movies that came out. It was a heist, a heist movie. So this was like a heist movie. It starred uh, Charlie Theron, uh, Ben Affleck, Dennis Farina, Danny Trejo. Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise. Oh, how could I forget Gary Sinise? <laughs> And yeah, so do you have the IMDb of it up there? No, I've I've got the the director's cut poster up. Yeah, I was hoping you'd get to pull up uh, his character name in the movie. Danny Trejo's character? No, uh, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Oh, it's a great reveal when you figure it out. I I I think I remember from the uh, How Did This Get Made episode. Yeah, you have listened to it. Yeah, Uh, I didn't even put two to two together. I lost my mind when I heard it. (laughs) Yeah, it was like John Frankenheimer's last movie, and John Frankenheimer like directed a lot of amazing films, and then this was like this was it it was this and then i think he did one other like tv movie and then he passed away uh but yeah my dad was the uh, casino consultant on reindeer games and i guess uh danny trejo was one of the uh, thugs in the movie and i got to go on set a couple of times and so danny trejo was on set one of these times and he gave me an autographed like headshot of his that said like it was like from Danny he's like follow your dreams Malcolm you're young bright you know you can do whatever you want like don't make bad I decisions I give you the same headshot two Dan- Christmases you know ago. Danny Trejo and it so was the guy's been in prison like nine times as a movie star telling you not to make bad decisions yeah he was does anyone get famous like me yeah I know exactly I'm like 
it was so cool. But at the time as well, I remember because I was so young that I got uh, I kept getting Ben Affleck and uh, Dennis uh, Farina's names mixed up. So I would be like, I met Ben Affleck, and then I would show a picture of Dennis Farina <laughs> to people, <laughs> being like, that's not Ben Affleck. <laughs> And then I'd be like, Dennis I met Dennis. Famously, uh, plays Batman in Batman v Superman. Yeah, yeah, famously. Yeah, he. Yeah, he was. You know, he dated J Lo in the early two thousand. Miss Geely. Yeah, Geely. That movie. Oh man, I could talk about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm's a real movie head. Um, Do you still have the uh, the signed headshot? Uh, it's. I think it's somewhere at like my mom's place that I need to dig it up. It's like in a trunk somewhere. I need to find it because I want to like hang it because it's it's a. It's pretty incredible. Like I think the fact that like he did that. He also did that for myself, and then he also um, my brother has one as well. Of the, the kind of the same. It's like the same like message that for both the standard. The f- the folly of dreams. You're special. Yeah, but my brother at that time must have been five years old. <laughs> so it was. Who's <laughs> like, this scary man giving me a picture of himself? Yeah. How old were you at the time? I must have been. I think I was eight. I was like eight or nine. Yeah. Still, who is the scary man giving me a picture of himself? But he was in Spy Kids as well, so. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I was like, or no, I think Spy Kids came out later. So like, uh, after when he like did uh, Spy Kids, I was like, oh yeah, this is like even better. I could actually tell people who he was because before it's like he's been in Reindeer Games and no one's, you know, no one's gonna, no one my age is no gonna watch that movie, yeah. and the parents are going, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they're horrified that I'm bringing up that movie. <laughs> The only, the only other specific note I have here for you in the uh, my segment where, I, where I'm researching people is just that you're excited about Red Dead 2, and I am as well. Yeah. We all are. We're all, we all are. I think uh, Tully is playing... Uh, she's playing through Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption for the first time right now, and we've been watching a lot of Wessons as well. I think it's like one of the best gaming experiences I've ever had. Oh, yeah. I'm like... You gotta ride a horse around and shoot guns. You gotta be a cowboy. I'll still listen to the soundtrack of that game. Like, if just like... If, you're such a nerd. Like, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a nerd for Red Dead Redemption and Rockstar games because like, yeah. it's such a perfect gaming experience. Support local. What? Support local. Support local. Is there a Rockstar in Vancouver? Aren't they a Canadian company? Uh, they're they're they're, yeah, they're from England. Yeah, they're Canadian. No, they're uh, they're like actually EA cocky is guys. Uh, Vancouver. Yeah, I knew that. I thought, I always thought Rockstar was. There was a ro- the, ro- the guy who's who made GTA is like an actual Cockney thug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Hauser brothers. But yeah, no, there was a Rockstar Vancouver, and they made uh, Bully and Max Payne 3, and right. then they shut down, and then a lot of them, I guess, moved to San Diego and to, like, the New York offices, and I guess there's, like, because there's, like, a bunch, there's, like, Rockstar San Diego, Rockstar Leeds, Rockstar just New York, which I think is where the headquarters is, and yeah. apparently they've all just been working on Grand Theft Auto 5 for Well, it's God just a cash cow. Oh. It's like oh, yeah. microtransactions. They're still playing it. I still play that game. Yeah, you still play it. But Red Dead, I'm really excited for. I'm excited just. You have a gang, like a a gang on horses running around. All your friends on microphones and junk. What a fun time! Because that was the one thing the, the first outlaws. That was the one thing the first Red Dead didn't do very well. Was there was not really an online component. They did have an online component, but it was sort of PvP. Well, you know, interestingly about that, the Red Dead online component was actually the first battle royale game. That are now becoming so popular. Yeah, like you're Fortnite right. I was thinking stuff. about that. I love that because there was a glitch. Do you remember the uh, the sort of Mexican dictator's manner, it, like at the yeah. start of the Me- the Mexico part of the game? Yeah. If you went there and went into the bedroom 
and crouched and spun around. You'd glitch through the floor, and people couldn't see in, but you could see out. Oh. And so you'd play the uh, Battle Royale game and get your gang and go and hide in there. And in that game, like the longer you survive and the more people you kill, the more notorious you get and people can see you on the map. And so they just keep coming. But they can't uh, see you, so they you can't just see kill you. them. So you're a cheater. Well, I was sort of bending the rules. <laughs> like, yeah. The other fun thing was going to that old like Confederate fort with the uh, Gatling guns on it. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. always fun. This is like really a subject for my other... I do a game streaming podcast as well. Oh, but um, <laughs> I know. Now I'm like, we're just talking about Red Dead now. I, just I love about- it. Oh, no, I'm just saying that with Red... And I'll end my Red Dead Redemption 2 talk is I've got uh, already on Amazon. I put it on my wish list. So when I when it finally gets to pre-order, then I'm going to pre-order the first day. Yeah, because it's going to pick up all the GTA 5 like online component. Yeah. All that kind of stuff mixed in with Red Dead will be great. Well, I'm excited for pre-ordering it off Amazon because they're notorious for sending games out a day early. By accident. Or like- by accident. So Pre-screeners. So I'm like, oh, if I can like get it like a day and just start the campaign, even if online, you get all the early bugs, like yeah. in the way you'd like glitch and become the horse and stuff. Yeah, figure <laughs> out what's going on there and be like, well, maybe there's a glitch I can X. You know, are you gonna be figure. playing that on a PlayStation or? Like yeah, PC? they don't. They're not doing PC. So Red Dead is still not on PC. I've wanted yeah. a, I've wanted a modded Red Dead like since it came out. <laughs> I'm so yeah, I'm so mad. So about that means that. we're gonna be we're gonna actually play video games together. For yeah, once. for once. I've bought Red Dead three times. Yeah. I've How many times have you bought Grand Theft Auto? Three times. Nice. <laughs> I bought it for 360, then PS4, and then PC, finally. Matty, you played uh, Vinny Tran and Story Hive show called Gotcha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, was in, that was my first like acting uh, situation. Cause were I, were I, you involved I, in the production of that at all? Nope. I was uh, Sinead, who wrote it and directed it, does improv with Malcolm. Malcolm's also in the film film oh, i didn't notice that he plays it <laughs> oh yeah i'm the star don't worry about it yeah well i thought i was only gonna have like two lines because our friend Sinead was writing it and she's like yeah i'm gonna write you into this you're gonna play this like sassy lawyer character who's like dying i'm like perfect and she's like you basically play yourself I'm like cool i'm not an actor i'll do two lines hang out on set it'll be fun Two days before, she's like, oh, I've written you way more lines. You're now one of, the, like, the more main people. I was like, god damn it. <laughs> so that was, like, yeah, so I got to be in lines. I had, like, a close-up, which was, like, weird to have so many camera people and, like, sound people. Ten people just, like, around me doing stuff for me to say one line, basically. It was just weird. And acting's weird and dumb, and I don't want to do it. You said first acting gig. Have you done more? Uh no. Well, Sinead wrote another thing that she wanted me be to wanted me to be in, but uh, it was for Story Hive too. But that didn't get picked up. I don't think. No, that didn't get picked up. Um, I think she might be in deve- uh, independently developing it. Maybe I've auditioned for a voiceover for a cartoon. One my first ever audition, but that's because stand-up comedian Charlie Demers. I assume. Do you know who he is? He is like the funniest. Yeah, he. Uh... He produced that Ebony Rosen book that came yeah. out recently. Yeah, he, yeah. Robin's Egg. Yeah, I have that publishing. book and I've been reading it. It's really good. Yeah. Highly oh, what I think happened? Yeah, it's yeah. great. He's like the funniest comedian. I look up to him a lot. And then he just, this, aid, this like voiceover agent message means like, hey, Charlie Demers gave me your contact and I want you to audition for this thing. And I like, lost my mind. I was like, 
the audition thing's cool, but the fact that Charlie Demir's thought about me to do this thing was crazy. Tell me about Croft and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> Croft and the Furious is the dumbest show ever, and I'm so proud of it. And like as much as I love Blood Feud, Croft and the Furious is like the perfect Venn diagram of everything I love. I love the Fast and the Furious. Not ironically, not in some weird way. It's I love cars and I love the Fast and the Furious. It's a great movie. And I'll fight anybody who says otherwise. I love doing crafts. I like cross stitching. It's mm-hmm. one thing I'm trying to get better at. So Craft and the Furious is a comedy show where a panel of four comedians discuss the craft or Fast and the Furious while it plays, like an interruption style. And during that, the whole audience is doing crafts. Have you listened to the How Did This Get Made episodes about them? Yes. They're so into them. Oh, yeah. it's I don't but, know how you're not. It's a crazy movie franchise. Yeah. I, I, that's, like, for me, one of the first, like, reasons. Like, I remember watching Fast and the Furious when I, like, when it first came out. Being like, this is crazy. Like, it's crazy. And then being reminded by the podcast, that podcast. And then I was at the show because it followed uh, Blood Feud. And I forgot just how crazy the first Fast and the Furious movie actually is. It came out it when I was learning how to drive. really got off the rails. Yeah. They're like, is that when they're tugging the safe? Five, five is a safe. Right. I haven't seen uh, Fast 8 yet. Fate of the Furious. Oh, Fate of the Furious oh is my wonderful. God, that's, it's we, good? We Unbelievable. It together and it was wonderful. Yeah. Oh. Well, the thing with our show with uh, Blood Feud is I think we went on our like uh, four or five month run where for our opening bit, we would talk about Fast and the Furious at some out. point. And we still talk about it. But we had to like uh, curb it once Craft uh, the Furious came out where we're like, all right, we should... Say you should like at least Maddie should save his Fast and the Furious bits for the actual movies. Because it always show. come up because it's such a big part of my life. Because you bought that car. That so is there only Walker eight versions film. of that show? Or like or eight? Yeah, uh, there's currently eight Fast and the Furious movies. But eight Craft and the Furious shows. There's only been one. There's an. Uh, I did it as a one-off just to see what would happen because the concept of it is very stupid <laughs> but yeah we're doing craft uh, two craft two furious in august cool yeah i definitely want to come to that one yeah we learned a lot of things from the first one and i think this one will be smoother i think i'd be most excited about the uh, tokyo drift oh, that's gonna be a great one yeah love that i love that movie a sort of non sequitur yeah and like people are like wanting to do the show which is crazy i'm like i'm trying to like filter out who like I'm like how, which group of group of people is gonna work together well, and who's just there who like just wants to do the show? Yeah, I get it, but like uh, they don't actually do a craft because it's too much, right? Because you're still trying to make jokes during the movie. So where does the craft fit in? The audience is doing crafts. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's and even it's better. very interactive. Like the the audience can like do their crafts. They can like get up and walk around. They can ask us questions. They can do whatever. Yeah, yeah. it was really cool. Like I was. Uh, sitting next to two people who were doing like the cross stitching, and then there was and this is the first bought, time they were ever doing cross stitch. Really. You know, people were sharing chips and popcorn and drinks, and it was yeah, it was it was a pretty it was a yeah. special show. It was I a wanted different it show to be very communal and like just like everybody's part of the show. For anyone on CITR, thanks so much for tuning in. That's the end of our time slot, but you can hear the full episode along with other podcasts on CaveGoblins.com. For anyone else, stick around. We've still got lots more to talk about with Maddie and Malcolm. Now, I just want to do a little plug for everything economics on the Cave Goblin Network. 
Talia Murdoch hosts this informative and engaging podcast on, you guessed it, everything economics in a relatable and easy-to-digest way. That's everything economics on cavegoblins.com. But back to the show. Yeah, I had to do a roast battle against him a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to look through his Twitter to be like, what can I get oh, to roast yeah, if him? I didn't scrap I was that at the Little Mountain Fundraiser? Yeah, I was at the Little Mountain. Yeah, we were there. That, oh, was, no. that was cool. I was, yeah, so when I was working to try to like come up with some jokes. I'm an improviser, so I'm not a joke writer per se and a roast is a very it's i was trying to get it's pro- not an improviser's area of like no. strength uh but yeah i was uh, re- quickly realized oh he scrubbed this entire his all because yeah, you would have seen media. i think all my breakup like tweet drunken tweets were still in there oh I, that's what i was like i was <laughs> oh. hoping for one i was like if i could if he forgot one i can i'll bring this no, up i just like hit delete all and like we're yeah. starting fresh that was my that was my way. I was like, all right, I, I knew I'm, I knew I wasn't gonna w- win in that one, but I was like, if I don't, just I, gotta I don't not bomb. Look horrible. Yeah. I don't want to look. And then the you did other great. guy who but was your, the champion yeah. didn't. Just it fell apart. I'm sorry that it did for him. But. For your first roast in that kind of like very high pressure situation, because like everybody who like the biggest names of comedy were in that room. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I had so never nervous. seen any review in anything before. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, that was my um, first impression. You just impression saw us be as mean as possible to each other? Yeah. <laughs> I it, was still, actually, it still comes actually, off in this because I still zing in this yeah. in this podcast. And just in life. It's what I do. Yeah. I actually had a hard time in that one where uh, when you called me, uh, I had the face of James and the body of a giant peach. <laughs> I actually I didn't want to laugh. I was like, that was really funny. But, you got to uh, try and remain stony-faced. Yeah, I'm trying to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm being roasted. I, I saw you tweet about the Oilers, and you often tweet about the Canucks. Is yeah. there any rivalry there? Uh, yes. Well, because both of our teams aren't doing anything, so it's not real like tension right now. Yeah, I guess like for if there was a while, like the problem has been that like the Oilers have been so bad for so long uh, that yeah, you don't have that like the fun rivalry. And right now the Canucks are undergoing a rebuild, so yeah. they're I'll not send you this like a sassy message every once in a while. Yeah, like when the Sedins uh, retired, and you're like. Oh, he scored with 22 seconds and then, like, oh, pass the pat. I like, cried. And, like, <laughs> Henrik Tessa, Daniel, this is, like, the perfect way to retire. And I messaged him, like, no, the perfect way to retire is with a Stanley Cup. <laughs> and he was like, fuck you. Fuck you. Well, McDavid's never going to get a cup anyway. So. No. Not with the Oilers. High hopes for next season? Uh, I kind of just, I don't think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs, but I hope that they can take a step forward now that the Sedins are gone. Uh, but that's that's hockey talk. Is that the? I, I don't know anything about hockey, but I want to. That's the twins, right? Yeah, the the Henry. Is that what I know thing. about that? Is the Voros twins from uh, the ECCW uh, uh-huh. tweeting about how now they're the biggest uh, twins in in uh, professional sports, professional yeah. sports in Vancouver? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that they are because for for our seventeen years, yeah, the Sedin twins were yeah the best hockey, basically the best hockey players in the city. And at one point. For like five years, they were the two of the best hockey players in the world, like at their prime. Uh, and so it's just, it's very, it, in, it's a weird thing to think about. Like for my whole like memory of watching hockey, they've been there, like at the Canucks, like cities have been there. Uh, and so for them to be gone, it's, it's bittersweet, but also, you know, they're 38. And, you know, that's usually the time when professional athletes retire and move on. So, yeah. But now you can go a while without your city getting burnt to the ground. That's true. 
The city likes to riot. <laughs> this city? Yeah, yeah. So the Canucks made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2011, and they lost Game Seven of the Finals in Vancouver. And the result was that people rioted in the streets. Turned What's over, a Vancouver riot? Though uh, they turned flipped cars over. Cars were set on fire. Police cars. Wow. Police cars uh, all, all the stores on Granville Street basically got looted, including like the Hudson's Bay. That that got looted. Like like. People, the thing was, is that like in the days after it, they actually had to shut down all the bridges because like they were trying to like round up people who were, you know, had it's stolen all from things. Langley, Langley and Surrey. Because yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what happened was like the next couple of days, people would like post on uh, Craigslist like, oh, I've got a Gucci bag for sale. And it'd be like all these Gucci bags. And you're like, oh, they've all been stolen because the Gucci store was broken into during the riots. So. They also rioted, like, I moved to Vancouver in 94. And they did also riot. And that's the year the first riot over the hockey team happened. Yeah. And that was also because they lost Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. But they lost it in New York uh, and not Vancouver, and they still rioted. Yeah, so they were playing New York, which at that time basically had all ex-Oilers. Yeah. So I was, like, not even cheering for the Canucks anyways because I didn't know anybody on their team. I just knew Oilers because I was a young, dumb kid. Yeah. And then I saw the city burn, their, burn the city to the ground. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm never cheering for this team ever. Yeah. And I'm it, still sticking to Yeah. And what's ironic about that 94 run is that the Canucks made a Cinderella run, so they shouldn't have even made it as far as they did. And so the fact that they got to game seven against what was, yeah, at the time, the Oilers in the 80s and early 90s were the best hockey team in the world. And, yeah, so when they broke that team up, yeah, half of, like, the good players all went to New York. And, yeah, the fact that they got as far as they did is was incredible. So, But that's hockey, and that's something I mostly tweet about. So. <laughs> that and uh, the BC police scanner. Oh, yeah, I retweet that all the time. I don't even know what I tweet about. Mostly dumb stuff. Mostly, like, one-line jokes that I don't use in stand-up. I feel like I just retweet a lot recently when I'm on Twitter. I'm just retweeting things that I find funny. Or... I don't even go on. I like I'll go on, do a tweet, and like leave. Yeah. Before the show, I asked Maddie and Malcolm about a comedic influence to talk about today, and they came back to me with Pete Holmes. So, what does uh, Pete Holmes mean for both of you? I think he embodies the spirit that I like to do stand up in, just like a nice, sweet boy with some zings and things, but like not still like caring about people which is what i would hope to accomplish with my stand-up yeah and just like have fun and just be silly yeah there's a bit of like a wholesome quality to pete holmes that i really relate to uh that there's like a compassion and like he doesn't like come off as your typical stand-up comedian i feel like he sort of has transcended like you know what the stereotype of a stand-up comedian is because you know like, he's he, from boston he seems like he, he doesn't belong in the stand-up world and i've never felt like i belonged in the stand-up world that's why i hang out with improvisers yeah like he's kind of got the spirit of a of an improviser but he does stand-up comedy and uh also ironically enough i have friends who are not comedians who say i kind of look like and act oh like yeah pete holmes 100%. A bit. you have the body of pete holmes i have yeah that you know that the pete holmes body um but you know but for me it's just like i love his podcast like i feel like he's got one of the best podcasts because he's so honest like he's so Mm -hmm. like because he cares open and he's 
and he's willing to like talk about himself in very vulnerable ways that I think a lot of people, especially comedians, don't do. Yeah, they they say they do. Uh, yeah, but they just use humor as a shield. What was uh, your first impression? I think I heard him on a podcast. I don't know which one. Might have been like Douglas movies or something like that. Yeah, that was the, my first intro to Pete Holmes. Yeah, my first intro to Pete Holmes was uh, on the How Did We've been mentioning it, the How Did This Get Made podcast, where he talked about, uh, I think it was 88 Minutes with Al Pacino. I mm-hmm. just remember him kind of stealing that podcast episode and just like stealing the show. And then uh, that ha- I think that was around the time he had this talk show on TBS called The Pete Holmes Show. Yeah. Um, and I started watching clips of that and thinking it was like one of the funniest shows ever because he would like bring on like his comedian friends so that would be like Kumail Nanjiani, John Mulaney, Chelsea Peretti. Uh, and then they just made fun Bo of him Burnham. Like, and it was, yeah, they would just make fun of him in space and it was just, I was like, oh, this is like the show I want to see. And he did sketches the- on that show that were hilarious. Like those, ex- the firing X-Men. Oh yeah. Those are some of the funniest sketches. It yeah. was just hilarious. Yeah, he also has a great one, yeah, run of one where he's like a the world's worst lawyer it's also like pete holmes as well from the mm-hmm. pete holmes show very funny too and he's got his current show crashing on hbo about like his it's kind of like his story of how he started stand-up and that's, it's like, that's with lauren lapkus yeah as well right yeah she's in that and like uh, and Artie lang as well from the howard stern show oh yeah he, like Artie lang plays pete holmes's mentor and i think that's one of the one of my favorite dynamics on TV right now, which is like Pete Holmes, the most wholesome, like kind of like conflicted religious man. And you've got Artie Lang, one of the most disgusting comedians <laughs> to currently live and work. A um, human garbage can. He Artie really Lang. is. Yeah. But he like, but there's the thing that connects them is that they're both very open and honest about their mistakes and trying to like improve themselves. And uh, like, I guess Artie Lang's all a lot about it. Like, rem- you know that he's the fact that he you know he recognizes that he is a fuck up and uh you know an addict and you know he's trying to he's trying to take steps to be better and at least in the show pete holmes as well as trying to figure out who he really is mm-hmm. which i think is something reflective on his podcast too and it even has like jamie lee who's his like his ex-girlfriend in real life who was a stand-up and they're like kind of rose together she plays his ex-girlfriend still in the show mm-hmm. in this in the same role so i think it makes it a little more like That's realistic brave choice yeah it's crazy yeah well like she was wor- she apparently wrote on the first season as mm-hmm. well so they like they still have friends, a close relationship and they're still close and i guess they're both married now and you know leaving uh leading positive lives but yeah it's like i, I like that like it's it's sort of that almost a it's definitely a scripted show but it's also like bleeds into reality reality yeah so you're talking about his podcast is that uh you made it weird yeah yeah i haven't actually listened to that one it's he'll talk to a comedian for like three hours basically and at like that kind of length you kind of you really open up and he sort of tries to broach touchy subjects right so like his from the top, like wikipedia his three are like relationships mm-hmm. uh religion and like what was the third one like just like your says life. you have comedy yeah. sexuality and religion yeah 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 yeah, like for him, like he talks a lot about the fact that he got married really young and then got divorced as well, and how that you know, I think he you know assumed he was gonna the person he married that he was just gonna spend the rest of his life with that person, and then mm-hmm. for that not to happen, and then also at the same time 
trying to pursue his, you know, his actual dreams of being a comedian. And also still like his current like religious discovery. Like what does he believe in still or what doesn't he believe anymore? That kind of stuff is still really interesting. I was like, because I went to Catholic school mm-hmm. and that was like always like, what do I believe in? I don't know. It's all weird. Who knows? And like seeing or like listening to someone else talk to other people that I like enjoyed their comedy also just like I have no idea I'm like okay cool I'm not like alone <laughs> yeah like for me like I don't I don't come from a religious background just because uh I well ironically enough my mom now is a broker for uh, mediums and tarot <laughs> card readers uh but like even my dad he wasn't religious and like my grandparents who like grew up during like the depression and like you know went through world war ii they weren't religious like they i think they had like a they lost their faith like in the 50s or something like something like where like at the time everyone was very religious they pulled back and so i never really had um that connection with any like you know church so even for me you know you know broaching that subject of spirituality you're kind of wondering oh, am I missing anything by not being a part of this, like, community, which is, you know, these religious groups, or, you know, my, do I have a unique outsider perspective because of it? And trying to figure out how how that plays into everything, because religion is such a big part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's comedy, which is great, and then sexuality, because we fuck. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so everyone says about improvises and stand-ups, just... Constantly pulling, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's crushing puss all day long. That's the sound of Malcolm getting wet. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. I really hope the mic picked that up. <laughs> okay, good. So hey! I got here. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of. That was just me thinking about all the times I was crushing that puss. <laughs> oh, gross, stop it. <laughs> So speak, speaking of uh, of puss, he played a uh, Peter Holmes played the fish headed character Toby on Ugly Americans. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched that show. Nope. I remember watching an episode of that show, but I I don't can't remember him being in the show to be honest. I think that show only ran or only ran for like a season. So. It was pretty good, but it was in that category of shows for me that is shows my roommate watched, mm. and that could be anybody and anybody's roommate. You know, there's like different categories of like movies you will only watch on a plane that That's are like not even good enough for Netflix. Yeah, and this is just a show that yeah, my roommate watched it. Uh, yeah, it's it's one, of, but I, yeah, it's pretty good. This reminded me of some of your uh, burns during that blood feud. Is at coming in at six five, he refers to himself as a lesbian Val Kilmer. That's yeah, because I am six. I'm I'm the same height. So I'm six five. That was my burn. Wait. I can't remember who said it, but you, no, this this was no Pete Holmes oh, said Pete that about Holmes himself. Oh, because I'm like that but, sounds like something I would say about you. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I think one of you guys said said something along those lines. Oh yeah, because we both had like we both kind of look like lesbians. Yeah, <laughs> I think there was a joke early on where like one of our friends was like, oh, it's like uh, you know the the funniest lesbian couple <laughs> in Vancouver comedy. <laughs> we're like, oh boy. That's you guys should put that in your post though. Oh man. Uh, that, that would, uh, I'm yeah, sure, spark a lot of... That's something I get like made fun of a lot, that I look like a lesbian. And then like when we roasted each other, that kind of was off the table just because we kinda... both have the same things. We're yeah. like, oh, that's It kind of felt like low-hanging fruit yeah. at that point, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's just the body shape. I feel like yeah. it's... 
And just, think, just know you have a weird body. Yeah. Like, I know. I'm small and, like, troll. Like, uh, we all like in this, bodies in this wouldn't hobbit be in den that you live in, I'm very comfortable in. Yeah. More comfortable than me. The, the, ceil- the ceilings here are just about my head height. But as I get closer to the sink, because the floors are not level, my head scrapes the ceiling. Oh. Yeah. Malcolm's crouching the whole time in here. It's maybe even safer for you, because you, you're, There's in a, a way, just so wary of everything that you're just low. Like... The weird bits where we've got foam on places that that aren't acoustic are where I've hit my head more than once. <laughs> oh, I can see that. Yeah, no, this is, it's been yeah, I've only been crouching. Like I like yeah. you'd develop a hump if you lived here. Yeah, I couldn't. I don't think you'd live here at all, right? No, I remember in second year university, I stayed. I lived in a place for a couple of months, uh, and only a couple of months because it was kind of similar to this setup where. Uh, it was just too low. So especially walking down like the stairs to the actual like living area i would always bang my head like and it would be like close to my nose like that's how low <laughs> it was i would bang it um and that would always drove me nuts but i think it's just from my height you kind of get used to this stuff but right uh, but it was funny i think being on my knees here and then still feeling like oh i'm really close to the ceiling <laughs> it's part of comedy is just like knowing yeah my, i'm a weird person with a weird body and I'm uncomfortable, and uh, I'm going to deflect with jokes. And that's how you develop your funniness. I think, Yeah, I think it's also just about embracing that. Like, I think not taking it too, se- like, your body too seriously, or also recognizing that I think everyone has their own uh, self-judgments about what they look like, and, like, oh, you know, and realizing that perfection's not attainable. Like, you know, well, everyone's some people just work out as a personality. Yeah, I mean, that's the other side. It's like a lot of people who are ripped. It's like they're kind of boring people. Like you don't see a lot of jack comedians. Well, not, not, not funny ones, anyway. Not really. I mean, there's. I feel like there's a few, but like I can't. But they weren't. I think uh, the, they, the, they, they never were object. like always yeah. beautiful. Uh, like, yeah. They always had something. When they got money later, yeah. they became more attractive. But then there's people like Ross Doak, who's in the city, who's like, I'm pretty sure he's always been handsome. And always charming, but he's just like a little bit crazy. Yeah, and like, I think that's where you get your funny. There's something, something has to be like a little bit off. Yeah, there's like an improviser in, in the city. His name's Ed Forrester, and, and I th- he's got like a very traditional like leading man look. And like if you see a headshot of him, you're like, oh yeah, this guy could like be a lead. And then you realize he's actually like almost six foot nine, and that like the whole thing like you know changes because like he, he he when he walks into a room, you're like, oh this guy is massive like i'm six five and he's almost got five inches on me so Shit. um i think the tallest i've ever seen in person is six seven so wow you're almost the tallest man he's ever seen yeah <laughs> i'm so close that person was 15 at the time though oh my so. god oh, wow so it must be like seven over seven feet now i think he grew early and stayed that way oh, he's in my man. high school you guys uh seen pete holmes's new yorker drawings he, he draws a yes, cartoon. Yes, I've seen a few. Oh, yeah. He's done a, yeah, a few of those New Yorker yeah. ones. That's cool. Pretty interesting style, like really minimal. Yeah, and I love well. that he will explore different formats of comedy. Like even with like my like dumb cross stitches, I try to make like funny, silly ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like have, experimenting, not just like I'm just a stand-up or I'm just an improviser. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm going to play with different mediums or like – do like weird poetry if I that's the thing I want to do or like do fun sketches just like explore all s- sorts of comedy 
Yeah, I like when comedians yeah cross mediums, and it's not they're not just confined to like oh I'm only a stand up or I'm only an improviser or I'm you know, I'm only this because yeah like, the, like even think about you know it's like there's also like in the city we've got like Jacob Samuel he's got uh, he's had a few. New Yorker. Uh, yeah, the New Yorker published in the New Yorker. New Yorker published, and I think he just released a book, but I forget the title of the book. Slinky Hell. Yeah. Um, like we were talking about before with Charlie Demers with yeah. his publishing. Yeah, with his publishing. Yeah, with Robin's Egg. He's got um, like his book, and he's producing like Ebony Rosen's book, and Alicia Tobin's got a book that's going to be coming out, I think, next year sometime. She's from Retail Nightmares? Yeah. And uh, yeah, Charlie does voice acting. I think he does acting, acting. I'm not sure mm-hmm. about actual acting. And then his just like regular stand-up is the funniest. Not combining yourself to one format is always, it helps you grow, I think. Yeah, because even with the format that you love or that's like your passion, it can, you know, you can improve on that if you end up, uh, you know, working on, you know, other parts of comedy. And yeah, realizing it's even, you know, music, although I don't think Pete Holmes does anything music related. You know, I just, yeah, it's... Like, I've even done expanding improv your portfolio. for, like, a minute. It really sounds like you want to fully transition into improv. Me? what I've been gathering oh, from this. Because <laughs> I've done improv recently on our show. Yeah, we did a switch where I did the stand-up, and he we did... We did a Halloween Freaky Friday situation. And I think we're going to do that again. Probably. This Halloween? This Halloween. Most likely, yeah. This October, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so Malcolm had to do stand-up for the first time, which is, like, the scariest thing anybody can do. And I did improv with basically the Sunday service. So I had the easiest platform and I still did not like it. Except they, they fucked with you the whole time. Which is expected. Like the first, I would prefer them fucking with me than actually like doing stuff. Yeah. The first scene that in that show was Ryan Beale was trying to kiss Maddie. Moon like the whole scene. Like that was like when you're talking about meta and like improv and comedy, like that was it. Where and like it was the like the whole thing was the audience knew that show was to mess with me. Cause, well, that kind of takes the load off as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, cause like even like before you did that, like started the stand up or the improv set, like your glasses were fogging up as we were like introducing. Yeah, you could tell I was improv. nervous. You can tell you were nervous the whole show doing. Well, the first half, but in the second half, once it was over, yeah. I was relaxed. <laughs> I was like, this was fine. I didn't, I didn't die. So but yeah, doing but, improv, I don't enjoy because I don't like working with others. Except in Blood Feud. Except for this show. Yeah, but like, I think that's because it's, it's just us chatting. And I don't have to do a character or like some sort of like scene. Same with Crafting the Furious. There's a panel of four of us just chatting. This is just chatting right now, mm-hmm. and which I enjoy a lot. But I don't want to like create a world. Yeah. <laughs> just dumb. Well, uh, is there anything you guys would like to plug? Well, obviously, Blood Feud. It's on the third Saturday of every month. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Bloodfeud Comedy and on Instagram at Bloodfeud.comedy. Uh, and then I'm also a part of uh, the Blind Tiger Comedy House team, uh, Reynolds, and we do a show uh, the first Friday of every month at Little Mountain Gallery. Uh, you can find more about Reynolds at Reynolds Improv on Facebook, <laughs> or uh, if you just search up blindtigercomedy.ca, uh, you'll be able to find a list of uh the show dates there and they also do classes so improv and sketch classes so if you want to take a class there which i highly recommend i, I did recommend. a sketch class and then great. i also do work at vancouver theater sports league so you can just find them at vtsl.com oh and blood feuds also at little mountain gallery yeah i never announced that oh and craft and the furious Pro- probably quarterly show 
which yeah. is also going to be at Little Mountain Gallery. I love Little Mountain Gallery. It's my favorite place in the world. You know what? Just like watch uh, shows at Little Mountain Gallery. Yeah. Uh, Basically every night except for Sundays and Mondays, go to Little Mountain Gallery. It's always something on. Usually something back to back as well. Yeah, weekends at least two shows, and then during the week one show at least. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming, guys. Oh, I just want to say thank <laughs> you for having us. Uh, this was fun. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us on all social media at Cave Goblins and check out what we're doing over on CaveGoblins.com. Uh, that was Matty Vu and Malcolm McLeod of Blood Feud Comedy talking about Pete Holmes. Join me next week when I talk to Brett Skillen about Eric Andre. He would. He would. <laughs> he totally would. He totally would. <laughs> you can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Comedy Zeitgeist. And you can follow me at Doug Vandalay. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes if you get a chance. It really helps us out. See you all next time.